0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: There's so many positives and negatives on both sides of it, and which one works best for your program. You know, obviously, like you said, we're going to get a little bit more winter development, probably a little bit, you know, more of a chance to get some of these younger guys ready to compete in spring. You know, if you start earlier, obviously, there's carryover from the season before, so that there's not as much teaching right away, and there's time to... You know, recover for some injuries. So I I think that there's there's pros and cons no matter how you do it. We've never done it this late. I don't think. So I'll be interested to kind of see you know if this one pays off or you know if the other way is better. But we were kind of our hand was kind of forced this year just because of all the the COVID and those kind of things. But uh, I, I can't sit here and say I'm I'm I like it or don't like it. I'm just I'm just ready to kind of get to it and see if it you know if it benefits us.
2: And welcome here to this Husker Online show, Sean Callahan, Robin Wachett. Later we'll hear from Nate Klaus, and that was defensive coordinator Eric Shenander. Robin, I had a chance to talk to him uh, this week for close to an hour. We talked about a lot of things, and that coverage will be exclusive on Husker Online, Uh, but that was just part of our conversation um, that you'll hear more of. But obviously, big news. Winter conditioning started this week. Um, Classes started at UNL, kind of. I mean, the snow kind of had other uh, plans, but the big news came as classes started three Husker players officially went in the portal quarterback, Luke McCaffrey offensive lineman, Will Farniak and wide receiver Cade Warner. And, you know, it, it kind of continues the trend of, of transfer news that's happened. Wondell Robinson was the other big piece this offseason season um, that moved out. And then you had the Florida kids that were more victims of COVID and, and the, the situation of 2020 and, and just the obstacles they dealt with. But um when anybody leaves Nebraska, especially quarterbacks and high-profile names, guys with last names, Cade Warner, the son of Kurt Warner, he's a captain. Luke McCaffrey, the backup quarterback to Adrian Martinez, the son of the great Ed McCaffrey and brother of Christian, it's going to draw attention. And like it or not, you you can we can look into this any way we want to, Robin. We could say, you know, these guys are number two, number threes in the depth chart. They weren't going to play. They're leaving for playing time, and we both believe that's the case. the The perception. And the beating Nebraska took over this was was pretty rough.
3: Well, and a lot of that just comes down to uh, the fact that these are guys that were appointed as high-profile players by the coaching staff. I mean, Scott Frost said Luke McCaffrey was the future for Nebraska at quarterback. They made... Uh, Cade Warner, a captain and, you know, had him as one of the guys that would come and do press conferences and speak after games and really put him front and center of, as one of the voices of the team. And when those, and obviously Wandale being Wandale, when those types of guys leave, it's different than your normal, you know, Will Farniox or whoever it may be, uh, guys that, you know, you can understand why they would try to pursue opportunities somewhere else to get a better chance to play. I mean these guys were playing and they were playing a lot and they were placed in like I said a high position of leadership in this team and you know when when those types of guys leave uh, legacy or not uh you know they that that's makes you take a, a second gla- glance a little bit about what maybe the the bigger problem going on is that's causing these guys to leave uh,
2: and I think the bigger issue in the question is is there a divide in this program is there a divide in this team and you know, you talk to insiders and you talk to people and You know, I think the younger players, the first, second-year guys in the program now, and then there's another group coming in, that group all seems to be on the same page. But the older guys that were here three, four, and five years, I mean, those seem to be the guys that didn't want to play in the bowl game. Those seem to be the guys that are transferring and moving out. I mean, the entire offense is pretty much being overhauled Mm -hmm. other than Adrian Martinez. Um, You you look at Wandell, Dedrick Mills, Matt Farniak, Brennan Hymas, Cade Warner, um, some big names, Jack Stahl. Guys are just moving on, Bo Wilson. So the defense we know is going to be set. They got everybody back. Eric Shenander is very optimistic about his crew. But I, I think this offense and and what went wrong, how did we get to this point where you tried to make everybody happy by figuring out ways to feature Wandell more, figuring out ways to feature Luke more and work him in even when he wasn't the starter. But in the end, nobody left Lincoln happy. No one is happy with – how things went last year, what their roles were, because they've left. And I get it. If you're a McCaffrey, dude, McCaffreys don't go somewhere to sit for four years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's a, a football name. And that family is not going to sit somewhere and wait. And now his brother Dylan waited quite a while at Michigan, but I think once he got sniffed that Joe Milton was going to get the job over him because they hired a new coordinator at Michigan, he put his name in the portal. And I think realistically, Luke knew he wasn't going to beat out Adrian. And one of these two quarterbacks, Robin, was going to leave. I, I really, truly believe that. If if Luke held on to the job and finished out the year well, I think Adrian's leaving. Mm-hmm. So that's the reality of this portal. If you are a quarterback that's invested a lot into making yourself a better quarterback and put a lot of time into that, you're not going to sit somewhere for four years and wait. You want to try to go somewhere now because that's just the reality of how sports are for everyone these days.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's just the name of the game. I mean, it's a time in collegiate sports where the student athletes have never had more leverage than they do right now. And if they uh, are unhappy with their situation or see that there might be a better opportunity somewhere else uh, to you know take their their profile, or their game to the next level. They have more opportunities to do that than ever before. Where uh, not only is there the transfer portal, not only is uh, you know the, that part of the game becoming like a new element of recruiting, uh, but with the pending uh, one-time transfer rule, it's going to be easier than ever. And so uh, that's just something that fans are going to have to get used to. I mean, the idea of keeping a quality backup for four years who uh, is just going to ride it out and you know be the the, the Brook Baringer who is going to be there when you need him. That's just not the case anymore. Even Mac Jones at Alabama, that's such a unique I deal. Know. It, it just doesn't happen, and so, and it's not. It's going to be fewer and fewer uh, going forward once that that transfer rule gets put into place. And so, I mean, it's basically like I'm not even like numb i'm numb to it at this point because of just dealing with basketball i mean basketball transfers have been going crazy for years and now it's spread into football to where it's becoming the norm now where guys are going to just uh you know trade places here and there and you're going to have to try to revamp your roster every year with not only incoming recruits but uh you know with the eligibility that's going on over the next couple of years and then obviously with transfers uh it's just an entirely different animal that programs and coaches are going to have to deal with in terms of managing a roster
2: well and it gets magnified even more in Nebraska when things like this happen, because number one, there's a large media group. There's very passionate fan base on social media and national media likes to chime in on Nebraska because it, it gets engagement. It gets traffic. So it just, you know, Notre Dame, little known fact, Notre Dame's had 10 guys in the transfer portal this offseason. Texas is at 17. I mean, it's everywhere. Northwestern
3: yes, has seven. There's just as many as Nebraska.
2: So yeah, yes. Nebraska has had a lot of guys go on the portal, Other than Wandell Robinson, I don't see anybody that's gone in the portal that wasn't natural attrition. Cade Warner had nine balls thrown to him this year with five catches. Mm -hmm. And I still – I mean, he was a great, respected guy in the locker room, but it was an interesting choice to make an underclassman that really wasn't one of your better players, a captain, over a senior. I mean, I think it's also a reminder of it's kind of dangerous to name underclassmen captains Mm -hmm. because it creates – complications for the future nebraska has one returning captain now for next year and that's adrian and obviously he'll be a captain next year but every other captain's moved on matt farniak uh, has moved on obviously kade warner colin miller retired from the game and then dicaprio went pro so we'll have a fresh group of leadership but yeah this is a big offseason robin a big winter a big spring for nebraska football
3: well and you can kind of understand why nebraska is taking the kind of drawn out offseason uh you know, as opposed to uh, playing the spring game during its normal time. They're pushing that back. And not only that, they're, they're extending the length uh, from the calendar length of spring ball for one, because they need to get a full winter conditioning in, especially with 14 early enrollees. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a huge part uh, of this offseason. It's the first step and one of the biggest steps. And then you give yourself a spring where you're able to kind of space things out, uh, not overwhelm guys, you know, try to manage as much as you can. And then May 1st, you're having your spring game. And I think that, that makes you send
2: your kids home for a break, and they come back in June.
3: Yeah, and then you, you yeah, you limit that break uh, between spring and summer when they're coming back for for summer workouts. And so, uh, I think that's a the perfect way to go about it. I mean, obviously, it's a continuation of a whole disrupted schedule uh going back to the fall but uh, i think i I like nebraska's approach and yeah uh, getting a full winter conditioning in was a top priority for them because they understand that's where the tone gets set for a a huge critical next you know five to six months of trying to rebuild the culture of this program after all this you know turbulence and guys high profile guys leaving and uh, i mean trying to reunify this team if there is such a divide that some people think there is I mean that's where it starts getting guys together in 14 straight weeks exactly for for as much as possible and, and just try to you know reunify this thing
2: All right so it'll be 8 weeks of winter conditioning followed by one off week then 5 straight weeks of spring ball with the spring game on May 1 and then the players will go into finals week and get some downtime in May so it's going to be a very busy uh, next few months, but you would think the uh, transfer news at least has settled down for the time being, at least on key names. So uh, when we come back, uh, we'll continue our opening headlines discussion. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think those guys just first and foremost really love playing football. and you know, I think that they they didn't want it to end. You know, I didn't want it to end. We, it, it comes to an end. I mean, eventually, but um, none of us—none of us—really wanted that thing to end. Um, especially, kind of the the way the season went. It was kind of weird, and we lost some games before the season even started. And then we lost the game, you know, in the middle of the season. And I don't think they wanted their last go around to end like that. It, especially, I think that they saw, you know, there, there's obviously some some things we need to correct on the field, you know, especially. There's a few things that we can directly correlate to us becoming a really, really good defense. You know, they they saw that they played really good at times and there was things that led to them, you know, not playing as well as they thought they could have. And I think that they feel like they can get those things corrected in the offseason and they have a chance to to be a special group next year.
2: And we're back here on the Husker Line Show. That was defensive coordinator Eric Chenander talking about his Defense That will come back with 17 of their top 20 players in terms of staffs played this segment of the Husker online show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill located on 30th and Yankee Hill. I can promise you there's not a more hopping place right now in terms of sports bars in town than Tanner's. I've been in there multiple times. It is the premier place right now. No one wants to get out of the neighborhood. I was just talking to a downtown bar owner. He goes, yeah, you, you want to be in a neighborhood bar right now because no one wants to drive downtown. They want to stay in the neighborhood. And Tanner's is a great place with all-new furniture, all-new TVs, great food, great wings. Get on into 30th in Yankee Hill. Watch the action this weekend. The Senior Bowl's on, plenty of college basketball. Then, obviously, the big game next week with the Chiefs. Um, and the Buccaneers, I'm a Chiefs fan, go Chiefs, Uh, Tanner Sports Bar. But, Robin, you heard Eric Tenander talk about the end of the season, and he said it without saying it. They wanted to play a bowl game. I mean, I, I think we all knew that, and that group in general wanted to play a bowl game. And, you know, what's astounding to me or interesting to me are all the guys that are no longer in Lincoln for the most part, and I have people that have told me this, are the guys that did not want to play that bowl game. And, you know, Wandell didn't want to play. Diedrich obviously had his tape. He was done. McCaffrey wasn't going to play in that game. Farniak was going on in the pro, did not want to play. I mean, you go down the line, Cade Warner, I know for a fact, was a loud voice about not playing. And that will forever be something that will be talked about about Scott Frost no matter what happens here. Just the way that team splintered on the decision to play in a bowl game. And, that was a coach in Shenander that you could tell wanted to play in that bowl game.
3: Yeah. I mean, it basically just confirms how big that divide was in the locker room. And it's crazy that it could be even almost broken up by side of the ball, but I guarantee you, there's some some players on offense that wanted to play, but they just didn't have uh, loud enough voices like the guys that were opposed to it. Uh, that they did. I mean, when you have a captain and you know one of the faces of your program, and uh, you know those your your top running back and, and those types of guys that don't want to play, it's it's hard for you know, someone it else. puts
2: younger player. I mean, exactly. you're, you're not going to speak out against Kurt Warner's son. Yeah, as I mean, a captain. Those guys are your I mean,
3: leaders again. I mean, but guys. they,
2: but what you didn't know at that time is they had a foot out the door. Exactly. And they, so they had they, their own self-interest. Okay. They had their own agenda and plan that playing in a bowl game was not a part of that. And you, you feel for these younger guys that wanted that experience and did not get it. You feel for the defensive guys like Ben Stilley, who really wanted to play in that bowl game. Mm-hmm. And Ben wasn't a captain, but he's a loud voice in that team and a leader and a respected guy. So yeah, I'll be curious just how the team comes out, but a lot of the guys that led the charge not to play aren't even in Lincoln anymore.
3: Yeah, and so, I mean, obviously it's impossible to spin it to where the losses of Wandale Robinson, Luke McCaffrey aren't blows. We're not going to try to do that. It's a blow, yeah. But what you can say is, I mean, when it comes down to getting this team together and unified on the same page and uh, closing that divide – uh, maybe that's what's something that needed to happen. So now you have, uh, in theory, uh, a gr- a team with leadership that is all on the same page where everyone is g- that all those loud voices are going to be saying the same things and you're not going to have, you know, the, this kind of fracture that clearly was there, uh, <laughs> at the end of the year and, and probably got progressively worse as the season went on. So, you know, they're going to obviously have some work to do to make up the production and just the, the roles that those guys provided, but Maybe long-term big picture, this, this could be a situation of addition by subtraction by uh, just being able to have more of a, a unified voice within the locker room.
2: Yeah, and this team will learn a lot about it with a full winter, with a full spring, mm-hmm. things that they didn't get last year. So lots to talk about. Uh, other news, Robin, uh, around the Big Ten Conference on Wednesday, Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern's head coach, pretty much signed a retirement deal. Um, no kidding. At least a i mean, in so many ways—a lifetime contract at Northwestern. They—they they still don't mean anything. If the Bears came calling, he could still go to the Bears. Yeah. Um, but it, it is interesting that they've locked him up, and I mean, I think everybody agrees that's the right move. Um, but yeah, we we'll, it's, its hard to imagine we'll be coaching Pat Fitzgerald till we're about fifty.
3: Yeah. So he's been here sixteen, been there sixteen years, and he just signed a ten-year deal through two thousand and thirty. So. If you want to feel old, think about uh, where where we'll all be when Pat Fitzgerald's deal finally runs up.
2: Yeah, he'll have 26 years there. And to put it in perspective, Tom Osborne is a head coach for 25 years. That's
3: crazy. I mean, that just doesn't happen. I mean, obviously, Kirk Ferentz is one of them. But uh, really, you look around the landscape.
2: Dabo is one of the older coaches now. And and he's been there since 08 as a a head coach. And he started as an interim. But you think about who else has been at the same place that long. Nobody in the Pac-12. Mm-mm. Nobody in the Big Twelve. Matt Campbell's like push I mean, he he's I mean, actually Saban, he's been there for a long time. Yeah, Saban's time. been there since 7 seven. Dabo's been there since 08. And then after that, I mean there's not a lot of people that have been places a lot longer.
3: Yeah. And so, I mean, just kind of speaks to uh, the differences where, you know, whatever Northwestern's been doing, that's uh, more than good enough for them. And they've got, you know, their identity and that identity is not going to go anywhere. And with Northwestern, we'll be Northwestern for at least another decade.
2: How about Tennessee? Uh, You know, Danny White, the former Scott Frost Mm -hmm. athletic director, takes the job there. And then he hires his coach, Josh Heupel, former Aberdeen, South Dakota native. Uh, Oklahoma Sooner quarterback, to go with him there. And, you know, what's funny is Danny White put in a really expensive buyout clause after he lost Scott Frost to make sure, like, his coach would cost a lot of money to leave. Well, he now has to pay UCF Tennessee's money with that buyout clause.
3: It was funny, like, reading – so I I still follow, like, some Central Florida media from, like, back when Frost was getting courted. uh, And the reaction from them was, like – you know, they were almost like glad to see Hypo. People leave. didn't like Hypo. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously, uh, they did not replicate anything close to what Scott Frost was able to do with that program, but, you know, it seemed like there was a lot more to it. So I'm, you know, you knew Tennessee was going to do something crazy. Uh, and obviously, this, uh, I, I haven't followed too much what their response has been, but from, from afar, seems like it's, uh, it's going well in Knoxville.
2: <laughs> well, they, they, they obviously called a lot of people. I mean, I think Fickle got a call. James Franklin. But who wants that job? Yeah. with
3: all the baggage that comes. Well, they're with gonna
2: it? they're gonna get put on probation. Yeah. James Franklin got a call. Fickle the offensive coordinator, Clemson is it Tony Elliott? I believe got a call. I mean, so there there were names that they reached out to. Uh, PJ Fleck, and you know the, it's it's tough. I mean, why would you leave knowing the odds are really against you?
3: Well, I mean, obviously you're dealing with that to be before you even sign the contract but then uh you know the expectations at Tennessee I mean they're a lot like Nebraska in a way where Except they're
2: just getting in trouble now for cheating exactly and I
3: mean as far as like expectations and you know that job is becoming a revolving door and there's so many people with way too big of a voice and as far as the hirings and, and firings and I would want no part of that that's probably the most instable job in college football and
2: honestly if not for the political protection at nebraska i mean you could say the same about nebraska but everyone's talks about frost but let me tell you this ask you these questions nobody in the leadership circle of nebraska that matters between a president a chancellor an ad or a regent has spoken out ever against scott frost Mm -hmm. and until until somebody does or there's somebody in a position like Frost is fine and but there's nobody right now that's ever spoken out against him where at Tennessee, you couldn't say that I mean there yeah. there were people in leadership roles oh, yeah. and Frost has a built-in protection model around him now that could change very quickly um, and you know a sudden retirement from Bill moose that we weren't expecting all of a sudden that tells you something's going on down the road if it's not working here but there's there would have to be a leadership speak out by somebody to really let you know like a a sudden change could be happening at Nebraska.
3: Yeah, I mean, four or five straight losing seasons suddenly probably changes right. that narrative a little bit. But uh, when was the last time? I mean, you're probably going back to Osborne the last time you had that much unification behind a head coach.
2: There was a point where under Bo, it started out that way.
3: Yeah, I guess With, when Tom was here,
2: because Tom came back, he bailed out Harvey and you know saved that situation, and then got Bo here. And that, you know, 2008, 2009, yeah, yeah, it turned in 2010, though, when Harvey Perlman called Eric Olson of the Associated Press and spoke out against Polini about the a and incident. Mm. He called him. That was like he actually called him back and gave him those comments. He want the university wanted to put Bo on notice that what you did at a and was unacceptable and you are on the clock. And then Osborne was forced to retire um you know pretty quickly i mean
3: and i think that's what a lot of these clickbait national articles that say is frost on the hot seat and that stuff i mean obviously they have not they have not lived up to expectations anyone's expectations scott frost's own expectations but he has the full unwavering support of every, like you said, everyone that matters. And that is the only thing that matters. You can speculate all you want uh, until that tenor changes and comments, you know, like what, what Harvey did or whatever, uh, start to come out. There's no reason to believe that he is in any jeopardy right now, but again, you got to start winning at some point. And, you know, especially going into year four, uh, there needs to be some tangible success that this or, uh, evidence that this thing is going in the right. One,
2: well, I think it needs to be so obvious one way or the other. It can't be, like, 50-50. You know, mm-hmm. it's got to be, like, okay, this is working, or five, six years from now, it's going to be so obvious, like, guys, this is not working. I mean, and, and that's... They've, it's hard to do, but that, that's the reality of how it's going to happen
3: yeah, here. And Nebraska just can't be a Tennessee where you're firing a coach every two to three years, and, you know, constantly looking for the next best thing. You got to give something time to prove whether or not it's actually going to work. Especially with the portal. I exactly. Mean,
2: your roster will empty out in old, and then you're sent back years.
3: Exactly. So, I mean, I think Nebraska's doing about it the right way. But, again, things things need to start improving here going forward. All
2: right. When we come back, uh, we'll continue this discussion. You're listening here to the Oscar Online Show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: Well, I, that's, a, that's exactly right. You know, do, do the kids want to commit first and foremost? Um, and then even the ones that do, you know, do, do you take a kid that, you know, you have never seen or they've never seen you? And I know we had to do some of it last year, but, um, you know, I think everybody wants to wait until, like you said, that April 15th, they see what really happens and if they push it back again, then you're going to, have to start making some calculated decisions, you know, on who you take and or if you're a kid, who do I commit to and those types of things.
2: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, That was Eric Chenander again during our exclusive one-on-one conversation uh, that we'll have more of here on HuskerOnline.com over the coming weeks. Uh, but you know, the, the the dead period, Robin, is kind of the elephant in the room. We know it's going to go to April fifteenth. We don't know what's after that and it it will be interesting and you deal with on the basketball and two, you know, we're running two junior day recruiting events for kids locally on Sunday, January 31 and Sunday, February 7th, where we have 30 different schools being represented with prospects in the area and these kids are lining up to come because literally recruits have nothing to go. I talked to Papillion LaVista's coach, Tim Williams today about recruiting and he said, Sean, he goes, I'll be honest, my guys are fired up to go because they want to do something for recruiting. Like these kids literally can't do anything right now with recruiting. And, it, it, you know, it, they want to know what the plan is. And, and the NCAA is going to have to give this group of 2021 kids something here eventually.
3: Well, 21 and, and 22 to an extent. I mean, you look at those classes. That's what I meant, 22. 22 sorry. Yeah. So the, the 22 kids. I mean, obviously they they've been robbed of almost everything. Like already a full cycle uh, of you know any in person recruiting or uh, going on visits or doing camps or anything like that. Uh, and now uh, in April fifteenth, right now is the the supposed ex- the dead period is going to be extended through that. There's nothing to say that it won't be pushed back even further because uh, how precautious. The NCAA has uh, been throughout this situation, and so uh, I mean, who knows when they'll actually be able to do the fundamental aspects of recruiting that everyone before them has gotten to do, and and then have to make the biggest decisions of their you know academic and uh, athletic lives without any information of like in person experience with. Meeting coaches face to face, you know, touring facilities with your staff, meeting uh, potential teammates, those types of things. I mean, they, they just don't have that. And so, uh, I mean, you really got to feel for those kids. And, you know, I don't have any idea when they'll actually get if they'll get that experience.
2: And Zoom is a great thing. It's helped a lot of people over the pandemic. But my gosh, like I, I just am not a Zoom guy. And I think you need that person to person yeah, um, as a coach, as a recruit. And you want that back so bad. I mean, Zoom just uh, everything about Zoom makes it just different than day to day because it's so much more robotic. And I mean, even press conferences, you can't, you know, like I, somebody on our board talked about, like, you know, will, will stuff continue on Zoom? I'm like, yeah, probably for the spring. But, mm-hmm. you know, what it really eliminates is sometimes at a presser, there's a reporter that he just has the hot hand that day. And you're like, you know what? Robin's got the hot hand. You go, baby. You just go three or four in a row, and we're going to
3: ride your questions. Yeah. I mean, because basically it's just a rotating round of questions where, you know, some people will ask two in a row, but that's usually about it. And then everybody that wants to chime in gets a chance to everybody ask. feels like they have
2: to chime in. And you get guys that I'm not going to rip anyone by it, but don't ask necessarily great questions.
3: Or or they're working on like a little side story that like has nothing to do with any like nuts and bolts, day to day newsworthy stuff. Like they're working, like asking somebody. Oh, it was like, your hunting trip. Yeah. Like what, what their Thanksgiving plans are or something like that. You know, it's like that's where having side interviews and being able to do stuff uh, on your own is so valuable. And then not only that, I made the comment in the, in the chat that, last season was the most disconnected I've ever felt with a Nebraska football team since I've covered this program. And I mean, that's going back you know 20 years and just because I never, there's players on this team I've never met face to face and I've seen them from uh, the the press box at Memorial stadium. That's the only time I've even seen them in person. And so like there's guys, I don't even know who they are where at least with those side interviews after practice, you know, you and four or five other reporters can talk to guys and get uh, an idea of what their personality's like and, and, you know, just get to know them a little bit. And that element was completely eliminated with the Zoom aspect.
2: Yeah, and assistant coaches, you know, last Mm -hmm. year, people asked like, why didn't you hear from this coach that much? Well, we didn't have a choice. Like the coordinators went every week, and not always every week, but usually. Shenander for sure every week, and mm-hmm. I think Lubick like almost every Most week. Most weeks, yeah. But then they would rotate in like one selected assistant. <laughs> yeah. And so
3: like you know, people are asking about Mario Verdusco. He he talked once. I think I looked looked it up. It was October eighth. And Greg yeah. Austin didn't talk yeah, like, he talked like the beginning of the year. Like the, the, the
2: second or third week, and that was it.
3: And so, you know, I mean that's you're basically just given uh So then you gotta ask access.
2: the wide receiver's coach, Matt Lubick, about the O line. Exactly. And yes. it's just not You know, it's hard. It's different. And so, yeah, I am long for the day to get the full, you know, and and I could see like the one Thursday deal sometimes where it's just frost. You could maybe say that could be zoom and be, you get away. But I still think you want that. You want to eyeball people and and be around the team and and just see things. And I don't know if we'll get that back at all this spring. I truly don't think we will. I wouldn't count on it, but you hope by August. Like I'll be curious, Robin, if we'll even have like big 10 media days.
3: Yeah. I mean, I know the SEC already pushed back. They usually do theirs like way early. Like Like, 4th of July. Yeah. And so they're pushing theirs back to like to the end of July. Uh, So, I mean, you're already seeing that start to get reshuffled. And, you know, it was kind of a weird event to begin with. You know, I guess for our purposes, hearing what PJ Flex, you know, used car salesman pitch, that didn't really do much for me. It was more about Frost and then the side interview with Frost and then with the players. That's where you got a lot of, you know, real value off-season updates. You know, we'll see if that happens. It
2: used to be you would get the coach for ninety straight minutes at just mm-hmm. like a ballroom table.
3: Yeah, with Bo, we're talking about like the steak selection at High vee and, <laughs> and it got it got it got pretty uh, dry at the end of it. But
2: yeah, no, it will be interesting to see just what things. I mean, and Ireland, like, will Ireland happen? I mean, that is a question that Husker fans. Like my dad's friends, like everybody wants to know, are we going to Ireland? Like, and I mean, I was on a podcast with Craig Doman, JoJo Doman's dad, this week, and I, s- I said, hopefully, Craig, the next time I see you, we're going to be having a Guinness somewhere in Ireland. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know if that's going to happen. Seems wishful thinking. I mean, I, it's point. a very Sean Callahan half glass full. I mean, a very optimistic. <laughs> you're, you're the
3: biggest optimist I know. I'm you're, you're wavering a little bit, I'm American
2: worried. optimist here, and <laughs> sometimes it bites me. I get criticized for being optimistic, but I always try to see the good in every situation and. It just, unless that Anthony Travel can guarantee package sales. I mean, that whole game is ba- based on people buying those packages. Like, yeah, that's how it's being paid they for. They picked
3: Nebraska because they figured that's a fan base that would travel across the ocean to come watch a game. That football will pay
2: game. 10 grand a person to go, like, Ireland.
3: Exactly. There's only a while. I mean, like Notre Dame and Nebraska, are the, like, those are the types of programs that get picked for this type of They didn't of game. pick Illinois for that reason. Exactly. Illinois was a sacrificial lamb. They picked Illinois to give, to give up, up a home game. game. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so basically, like any Big Ten game over there, it's going to have to be like a Rutgers or a Maryland mm-hmm. or a Illinois. I mean, may, maybe a Minnesota, but you're not going to see a blue-blood Big Ten team give up a home game.
3: No. Ohio State's not giving up a home game. But they'll play – Rutgers over there for sure for sure so you know going back to the uh, recruiting dead period one note I wanted to pass along was you know it's just from the basketball standpoint of it there's some, been some conversations uh, as far as like live periods usually the first live period start uh, at, at the end of April that, that last weekend in April is the first like big marquee weekend of events sounds like right now that's there's little hope that there's a, an April live period and maybe there's going to be something in June, but right now it doesn't seem like, you know, I know people in the, the Nike Eybl circuit, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, circuit, they're already saying that there's not going to be an April period. And they're basically go- planning their schedule around, um, not having a normal recruiting calendar. And so that with April 15th being the dead period and that sort of stuff going on already, it makes you think that that dead period is going to get pushed back a little further.
2: Yeah. And- the optimists, you hope that maybe Nebraska on May 1, it, it's a quiet period. And if they go quiet, you could bring visitors on campus. Mm-hmm. So we'll see where that all goes. But, Robin, lots of basketball talk. You might actually have some games to cover, a lot of them.
3: You know, if we're playing two games in a month, there sure is still is a lot to talk about.
2: So we will talk actual basketball game coverage with Robin next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
2: And we're back here on the Husker Line show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washet, Robin. Um, there's a light at the end of the tunnel uh, when it comes to Nebraska basketball. We finally um, have an idea of what things are going to look like. Um, t- the team will be, you know, getting ready for their first game in in what nearly a month.
3: Yeah, I mean they've been. Uh, it's been almost three weeks, going on three weeks since they last played a game, and uh, they've been completely. Shut down for uh, going on three weeks now. And then, uh, you know, there's going to be another, what, another week on top of that before they actually return to action. But like you said, uh, there's at least an announcement where we know when that first game is tentatively going to be played. The plan is February 6th at Michigan State. Nebraska will finally play its first game since January 10th. So it's been a long, (laughs) long month, but uh, light at the end of the tunnel.
2: So between. They had the Michigan
3: game on Christmas, then they played two games after Michigan? Yeah, they played January 2nd, and the last game was Indiana on uh, January 10th. 10th, and that was before... It's just amazing. And then then they shut down on the 11th. I mean, it's just amazing
2: how out of control it got. I mean, Mm -hmm. and the Big Ten with all the protocols, all the testing, I mean, it's more stringent than any sports organization arguably in the world as far as the testing, daily protocol... Is basketball daily? Yeah. But yeah. like Did you uh, even get in the building? Now baseball I think is only gonna be like three times like the lower sports are only doing like three, yeah. but the the major frontline sports, I don't know about volleyball if they're daily or if they're multi I'm guessing they're daily, but um, it is interesting just how out of control this virus can get and it's a reminder, I mean, how fast it can spread even with the most stringent protocols in place.
3: Yeah, so basically what happened was uh, Ivan Wade Rogo was the first player to get it. Uh, on the team, and he missed that Indiana game. Um, And so from that point on, I mean, I think that happened earlier in the week and actually caused them to cancel the Illinois game that was supposed to be played right before that. Uh, And so within that week and then the next week, I believe, uh, almost every member of their Tier 1 personnel, which is coaches, um, players, and then any direct uh, staff members in direct contact with the team, Uh, got it. I mean, I think there's only a handful of people at the tier one level that did not get COVID. And so there's been a lot of teams that have been shut down, had to pause. I mean, Oregon just paused for the second time. You know, obviously Villanova has gone through it, Penn State, you know, Michigan, but I don't know if there's a team that has been hit all at once the way Nebraska has. Like, I mean, in the world. <laughs> when you go from head coach all the way down to staff members, like training staff and stuff like that, like, it's insane. Uh, I mean, they reported 12 Tier 1 personnel. I guarantee you it's more than that. You just would love to know how it spread and, and how fast. I mean, because clear,
2: there's there's protocols. There's ma- I mean, there's things that you have in place to prevent these things. Like, you know someone's going to get it, but I don't think anybody could predict that, like, literally everybody was going to get it. The way they did, and that nobody had the antibodies from previously contracting the virus, where a lot of football mm-hmm. programs, as we know, pretty much have. I mean, I won't name teams, but you you talk to people in the Big Ten, where 60 to 70 percent
3: of their players either had it or have the antibodies when this before the season even started. Yeah, I mean, there were some schools that <laughs> you know they didn't come out and say it, but it wasn't a, a secret that they kind of tried to get it out of the way. They had their team report, and then basically just. Did what they needed to do to uh, cycle through their virus, so that they were able to be ready to go for football season. So Nebraska did not do that with basketball. In fact, you could make a case that they were too careful, to where their guys were so isolated uh, and were they took so many precautions that yeah, nobody had any of the antibodies. And so when they got here, you know, you're walking a really fine line where. You know, when you have a a group of players like basketball that are together at all times, whether it be in practice, locker room, uh, on and off the court, uh, it takes just one person. And everyone was susceptible to it. And it just spread like wildfire as soon as one guy got it and got inside that bubble.
2: Well, here's the difference, I think, with, with what football teams did in the summer. There wasn't a Big Ten protocol. There wasn't a daily protocol in the months of June and July and really for the better part of August. And so... The only way you would test back then is through contact tracing or if you had symptoms or you flagged symptoms and then they isolated those guys. In situations where you test every single person every single day, it's just a reminder of how many people probably carry this virus that don't mm-hmm. even have a symptom. Um, you know, I was telling you off air, I, I, after traveling all football season and doing my routine, I, I have the antibodies. I got the antibody test done last week. and. I never had a single symptom and Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, it just is a reminder of what this virus can do without you even knowing it's doing it.
3: Well, and yeah, I mean, I know with, with Nebraska specifically, I mean, there were guys that got it that, uh, you know, they, they went through it a little bit. I know Fred Hoiberg, obviously with his heart condition, he was a big concern when he announced he tested positive and, those first few days, uh, from, from what I've been told, were, were a little rough for him. And good news is that he's doing significantly better. Uh, I, I was told that he was actually able to get back into the office uh, this week uh, to kind of get things ready to go for when they return to full team activities this weekend. Uh, but, you know, there were other players that didn't even feel anything. Yet they had to sit uh, for, you know, a week to two weeks in isolation in a hotel room by themselves because they tested positive. And so, I mean, just the varying degree of how this impacts anyone, whether it be high-risk people Symptomatic, or, asymptomatic. or, you know, perfectly healthy D one, you know, high major college basketball players, you know, there's no rhyme or reason for how this impacts people. And so now the issue for Nebraska is, uh, they're supposed to be, like I said, return to team activities this weekend. Uh, all the players, uh, from what I've been told are expected to be cleared and ready to return to work uh, by the end of the week. And so, uh. Then the issue is, yeah, you were able to get everybody cleared and ready to return to practice. What, if any, lingering effects are there going to be? I mean, obviously, like I said, these guys didn't do anything for at least you know two weeks uh, when the, the shutdown. There was no full team activities whatsoever. Uh, hardly any workouts done. So there's that reacclimation, and then you know you got to deal with any lingering side effects that uh, a certain player too might have uh, from you know their their experience with the virus. So it's. It's going to be in very interesting next six weeks, and then you add on top of that, Nebraska is going to be jam packing games. Uh, you know, over basically like fourteen or fifteen games in the span of thirty-one days. I mean, that's going to be a, a grind to begin with. Let alone having to try to navigate, you know, any lingering effects from uh, what you've been dealing with the past few weeks. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show now, Robin. Give us an idea
2: of what this is all going to look like, because I think. You know, human nature is like, well,
3: there's no way they can get all these games in, <laughs> but they're going to get them all in pretty much, aren't they? They're going to try. Uh, but one thing that we <laughs> do know, you know, I know there have been talk about with conference tournaments, would they potentially uh, try to either reschedule those or uh, cancel them all together? Uh, from, from what I've heard, the Big Ten is fully planning on playing its full conference tournament as planned. And so that begins March 10th with the first games, and so I mean there's not going to be much wiggle room at all to push back any games uh, any further than what's already been done. And you know, Michigan right now with their situation not being able to do anything per you know state state government mandate, uh, I mean, w- what kind of impact is that going to have? And so I know that you know Nebraska's to get to a full 20 game schedule, uh, they still have 15 more games to play, and the likelihood that all 15 of those games get played before March 10th. Seems unlikely at this point. I know there's already one, um, you know, I reported this earlier this week that that Penn State game, uh, I don't remember the exact date on it, but the the second game against Penn State, the first one was already postponed. That's already being discussed as maybe getting canceled altogether because of some scheduling conflicts on Penn State's end. So, I mean, they're already talking about chopping games off. uh, And with the fact that they're not going to have any wiggle room with pushing back the conference tournament, that gives you a hard deadline for when these games need to be played. And... Every day that things keep happening and more postponements happen, uh, that window gets closed uh, more and more.
2: So, are we looking at essentially about seven games every two weeks?
3: Yeah, I mean, mean, in theory, I mean, basically, like give or take a game every three days. And there's some. So, the first
2: game is February what? Sixth. And then the final
3: scheduled game is what before the tournament? Uh, uh, March seventh, I believe. So, So,
2: yeah, you're looking at essentially a month to get 14 games in.
3: Yeah. And so right now I'll tell you, they've, there's three games that we know are confirmed and that's the, the February 6th game against Ben at Michigan state. And then two days later, they're going to Minnesota. So they're not even going to come back home. They're going to basically go from East Lansing to Minneapolis. And then three days later, they're at home against Wisconsin for a 4 PM tip on a Thursday. Hey, Good, good for your <laughs> exactly. uh, personal life. You won't have to work late. Exactly. And... So those are the games that are locked in after that. Everything's up in the air at this point. I guarantee you this is going to be constant movement. Games are going to get bumped up a day, up back a day, uh, a couple, couple days, uh, all across the conference as they try to piece this together. And uh, I guarantee you the Big Ten is going to prioritize certain matchups, uh, especially with teams that are surefire NCAA tournament contenders. Uh, and, you know, it's probably a reason why Penn State-Nebraska is already being talked about getting canceled because neither of those teams are really in the mix.
2: All right, well, it will be interesting to follow. It's going to be a puzzle. It's going to be week to week, and Robin Washit is on top of it over everyone else. So make sure you follow Robin here on HuskerOnline.com. When we come back, we'll close the show with some recruiting talk.
0: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. The last
1: class, everybody, like the 21 kids, everybody kind of was like, well, those guys got screwed, which they did, you know, but a lot of them went out early in their, in their recruitment uh, process. This next group, this, this is the class that could, you know, really be in, in trouble as far as opportunities to, to see places or have a coach come to see them or, or whatever you might be. Um, this, this class is the one that's tough.
2: Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, and uh, bringing in Nate Klaus here over the phone as we talk recruiting. And, Nate, you heard Eric Tenander talking about just the challenges for 2021 kids. But in all reality, 2022 might be the real victim here because of the numbers crunch, the fact that really none of these kids have taken, um, you know, true recruiting visits unless they were sophomores when they were able to do them or even freshmen. Um, but it, it's it's an interesting group and cycle because of all the unknowns that we just don't have answers to right now.
4: Yeah, you're right. I mean, I was saying this um, uh, a couple different times this past week, I feel like, where you know, it is the, the 2022 class that, <clears throat> um, you know, are they're going without the normal junior days right now. They're going without having coaches come through their schools right now. Uh, like they would have normally, you know, that the the one benefit that the 2021 class had was that they're were, they were able to have coaches get eyes on them uh, during the month of January. They were able to take some junior college or not junior college, some junior day visits, uh, you know, towards the end of January through February and maybe even a couple visits during uh, during the early portion of some spring practices before everything got shut down. But, you know, these, these 2022 kids, they they don't have that luxury. Um, and, you know, as far as the, the dead period goes, you know, that's still very much up in the air. And, you know, best case scenario is that it ends on April 15th. And, you know, we're still quite a ways away from that.
2: And uh, something Eric Chenander talked about that they hope for is maybe that it will go quiet, meaning prospects will begin to start to take trips on their own um, unofficially, and let's be honest that's happening already guys are going to places and you know finding gray areas to make trips but they can't meet on, on the facilities or the coaches uh, but that could be maybe the next step is, is a quiet period that allows prospects to still visit places
4: yeah and if that happens I, I think you know i think that that helps everything quite a bit um and there are visits being taken right now but like you said there You know, they're they're still unable to meet with the coaching staff. They're still unable to tour the football facilities and everything. Um, And sure, you know, it's nice to visit the college town and and to walk campus and try to get a feel for things. Uh, And I I think that is very helpful during the recruiting process. But it's a far cry from being able to actually – tour the facilities and learn a little bit more about the, the history and tradition of a school and, um, you know, really sit down with the coaching staff in person because, and I think we'd all agree that zoom calls are, are nice and they're convenient, but they're, it's not the same as being able to sit down with a coach one-on-one and or with anybody one-on-one and, and really, you know, have, have a normal conversation with somebody.
2: Yeah, Nate. And you know, one of those guys, we're talking about prospects taking visits, um, It sounds like, and Mike Mattia um, confirmed that this week with a source close to Avante Dickerson, that he took his own trip out to Oregon, and that is obviously the most high-profile high school target left for Nebraska. There's a couple other names still, but uh, signing days on Wednesday were um, about a week away from National Signing Day. That visit to Oregon, it just doesn't leave you with a very good feeling, I guess, if you're Nebraska right now
4: yeah yeah not really uh, i mean he's taken now trips to minneapolis and to oregon and um you know and, and following officially decommitted from minnesota so um you know you, you kind of know that the gophers are, are out of it now even though he had been committed there for a very very long time and um you know and if you're nebraska yeah you're, you're feeling maybe a little bit nervous right now that you know as of a couple weeks ago two or three weeks ago it looked like all signs were kind of pointing to him ending up in lincoln and now all of a sudden you know he takes a couple of these unofficial visits on his on his own dime and and uh you know excludes minnesota but uh oregon is is the team that has all of a sudden gained a lot of steam and um you know i think there's there's still some some things that, that could go Nebraska's way but uh, you, you definitely are feeling a little bit more and more concerned about Avante Dickerson if, if you're the Huskers.
2: Yeah, what, what did you make of him publicly decommitting the way he did on Twitter uh, that was kind of out of character for him to, to do that with Minnesota um, announcing in that manner um, I know people around him at Westside were surprised of just th- how he made that kind of public statement because he's been so quiet about this process. I mean, it almost maybe me now you're like, well, does he know he's going to commit to Oregon and he's officially ending it with Minnesota? Or does that mean Nebraska and Oregon are both still in it? I mean, it, a lot of questions after that tweet for me.
4: Yeah, there are a lot of questions, but, you know, honestly, I think it makes sense. Um, you know, and it was probably the right thing to do, in my opinion. Uh, because you, you, can, you can officially close at least one door with one program and allow them to go another direction, um, you know, before signing day happens. Um, obviously, it doesn't leave Minnesota a ton of time to try and, you know, replace, um, replace him in, in, their, in their class. But, um, you know, it was a natural progression. If, if he didn't know he, or if he knew that he was not going to go there, I think it makes sense for him to go ahead and, and publicly decommit, and um, you know I, that was one thing that was going to have to happen, or, or probably should have happened, uh, before he committed to another school on on signing day. So, you know, you, you, like we, like you mentioned, we're inside of a week here leading up signing day, and and uh, it's a it's a two team race between the Huskers and the Ducks, and um, you know, like like I said, uh, you, if you're 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 getting a little bit more nervous about this situation than you were just a few weeks ago.
2: What else? Is there anything else, Nate? Um, I know Townley out of Minneapolis is a name, uh, but the feel is that he's a Penn State guy right now today. I mean, do you, you think it's just Dickerson, or are you watching the Townley situation too?
4: Yeah, I mean, really, it's, it's you know, there, there are a couple other names besides Devon Townley. Uh, who's the the four star outside linebacker slash defensive end out of Minneapolis? Um, but like you said, it, the feeling is that it's it's probably Penn State and Nebraska. Um, you know, there's a couple other Big Ten teams in the mix there. Michigan State is one of them. Uh, Minnesota, obviously, enough talked with at Minnesota. It looks like they're preparing for him to to leave the state uh, and go elsewhere. Um, you know, but, I mean, outside of that, you know, Townley and Dickerson, it, it seems like, you know, those are the, the two main high school names that, uh, that Nebraska's in on as we get closer to, to signing day. You know, and, and from there, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens because, you know, either Nebraska's going to have one spot extra to, to use for the transfer portal or, or to use on a junior college player heading into the spring or, or they could possibly have two spots uh, to, to utilize that as
2: put your former recruiting hat on the quarterback situation. Now with Luke McCaffrey, we talked about it at the top of the show at length. Now you probably need to find another quarterback. I mean, are are you looking for a guy that's leaving somewhere in the spring? Are you looking for an FCS guy? Maybe, are you looking for a Juco guy? I mean, what would be your plan of attack right now? Uh, with your years of experience in recruiting on how you find the best situation guy to bring in as another quarterback to
4: give you depth. Yeah, I think you, you clearly you have to go out and get a quarterback, but uh, because you've got two, you know, beyond Adrian, you've got two freshmen, uh, you know, retro freshman and Logan Smothers and, and then a uh, true freshman uh, new incomer who's only been on campus for a couple of weeks or, or a week and a half or whatever it is in Heinrich Harburg. So um, I think you have to get somebody, but Ideally, that's somebody that has some experience under their under their belt already And uh, you know, I think that if you can get an FBS guy that that can come in and compete for the job um, You know, that'd be great But I would probably be looking more towards the FCS level and trying to find somebody you know who has uh, Has a a real track record um, and has legitimate production on that level You know, I think there's a lot of question marks surrounding the FCS spring season that's supposed to be taking place here. And I know there's you know, a lot of schools that have already kind of opted out and there's some, some question marks surrounding all that. So there could be some very good players from the FCS level entering the transfer portal. And, and if you're Nebraska, if you could go out and get you know a quarterback from one of those schools that has produced at a, at a fairly high level uh, that can come in and compete with uh, Adrian Martinez, I think that would be ideal. Um, but I don't think, you want to just go out and get any quarterback you can get just to have a warm body uh, in that room. I think you you really want to get somebody that can compete with Adrian and that can, can push him, um, you know, going forward. Because uh, I I just, I think if you, if you're just going to get an extra person in that room, I I think it kind of works against you and you'd be better off uh, using that, that extra spot somewhere else on your team to improve your roster.
2: Well, lots to follow. Signing Day Wednesday, we're also going to run our first of two um, in-state tour events in Lincoln, so we'll have plenty of coverage as all the top recruits in Nebraska are going to be um, checking in with us here over the next couple of Sundays. Um, So plenty of recruiting as we're going to try to keep things moving despite, obviously, the COVID limitations that are still keeping things held down. But make sure you log on to huskeronline.com.